Welcome back to IDEA Advancing Inclusion and Diversity, our ongoing series about fostering inclusion, diversity, equity, and access in the brand licensing industry and beyond. I'm Maura Regan, President of Licensing International, the trade association for the global brand licensing industry. And in this episode, we discuss steps to take to make sure your business is diverse and inclusive, as well as how to overcome barriers, avoid pitfalls, and put intention into action. You'll hear from Rochelle Parham, Managing Director at the venture capital firm West River Group, Payne Brown, President of the National Basketball Players Association's Think 450 licensing arm, and Stephen Wolf Pereira, CEO of Encantos Media Studios, who'll share their perspectives and ideas. I'd like to give a huge thank you and shout out to the National Basketball Players Association for generously sponsoring and supporting this podcast. Thank you. Well, I'll get right into it because I think, you know, the thing that I love about both of you is what Marva said, which again was so powerful, and if Anki and Pam gave a master class, that the business case for diversity is the business. But, you know, for a lot of folks, a lot of places, that's just talk. And when you look around, especially in the C-suite, on corporate boards, running P&Ls, there are really just very few people of color. And that's just reality. And I feel like we've been having this conversation for over two decades now. We've been in this, in the trenches about black and brown for a long time. Um, but, you know, maybe, Rochelle, you could give maybe a little bit of your perspective on how do you really take nice words where companies always want to talk about diversity, but are they really looking at this from the data, from their customers, from their products? And how hard is it to really move the needle inside of these big companies? other than doing an ERG. Let's hear your real talk. So um, so frankly, and, and it was stated a little earlier, but I, I will reiterate, it really comes from the top. It is the tone from the top. You have to have a diverse board. You have to have a diverse executive team. And then that needs to get pushed down through the organization. And then the other thing we know, and at least the organizations I've been in, is if it's not a part of someone's goals, they actually don't do it. And so you actually have to make the hard decisions and the hard calls. And, you know, Stephen, you have done such great work in just elevating and demonstrating that it's it's not that hard to figure out getting people of color on boards. And frankly, what I've seen is this mad rush, particularly over the past six months, to diversify the boards. Mad rush. And I feel like folks woke up one day and realized they didn't know people of color. And so they called the one person they knew and tried to get as many other people connected as possible. And, you know, the challenge with that is there's so much great talent out there. And then there's often roadblocks to um, getting the talent on board. Oh, they don't have board experience. Oh, you know, they're not in the C-suite. Oh, and the fact is that we all know that when you give people opportunities, they rise to the occasion. And frankly, if you can run a huge business, if you can be president of a, a big part of a business, if you can drive P&L, if you can drive significant revenues, you can serve on a board and help companies to grow and scale, period. And so you know, companies just have to jump in and take that initiative. The next piece of this is what happens at your executive level. You actually have to think about elevating people to the executive level who don't look like you. And in doing that, sometimes the diversity rule, right, Rochelle, like black people, you know, brown people, Asian, like we don't just have to be the diversity role. We can do other things, right? 
Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because uh, Marva talked about how she turned down her role a couple of times before accepting it. And and I'm sure that many people who are of color have experienced this throughout their career where they've been asked to be in a role that is to represent all people that look like them. And frankly, in, 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 in the past, it has been one of those opportunities that sort of halts your career. And now the good news is, is that there's a lot of focus here on diversity and inclusion, and there's an opportunity for this to actually be a part of how you think about and grow your business. And we have to stop a lot of this, um, the talk about how you, you don't push things forward, you don't create opportunity, and you have to figure out how to either pe- rise people up from your organization or bring people in from outside. But changing the face of your executive team, and I don't just mean racial and and gender, but I also mean thought. That diversity of thought matters. And the only way you get there is if you have different people at the table. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, you were, um, you know, very kind to mention about the importance of getting people of color onto corporate boards. You, my dear, are also on a couple of boards yourself. You are on the board of directors of Best Buy, on Elf Cosmetics, a little company called LabCorp that's been pretty busy, busy over the past 12 months. Um, so again, you're talking from experience. And Payne, you know, you've also been on corporate boards. You've also had this incredible career where you've done everything in media to even being, I think, chief of staff of the LA Clippers. But I feel like when you look at real talk, how do you actually bring something from an idea and nice words into being? You actually help transform Comcast and really help launch some of the most impactful, you know, kind of channels that were owned by professionals of color. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what that was and how did that even happen? Sure. It's interesting. When I was at, let me start by by echoing what, what Rochelle said, and I would add one piece to it. And that is, one, you do need a commitment from the top. You do need people of color or different genders. You need people in the room. Uh, But I would add to that, you need people in the room who understand why they're there, who understand that part of their responsibility and obligation is not just to be in the room so they can be the box that gets checked, but they're in the room to make sure that they're not the only person in the room, that they're in the room to bring others in the room. And that's a piece that I don't know that we always spend enough time thinking about, that it's not enough just to be the only person in the room. As a matter of fact, you want others in the room. You don't want to be the only. I gave a talk once that was entitled The Black Guy in the Room, because for so often when I was at Comcast, I was the black guy in the room. And and the, the, the goal is to bring others. As you, you say, how did it? How did it come about at Comcast? Well, one, this notion of a commitment from the top. And I would say this, even even if people don't believe in it, you want them to act like they do. I mean, and I think sometimes we get hung up on what they don't really believe. Well, to be honest with you, I don't really care if you believe it or not. I'd like you to, but what I want you to do is behave as though you do. And I used to tell some of the leadership at Comcast, I don't want to hear you say, you know, it's 
let's make the business case for the diversity. It's been good business for 100 years to have diverse people. But apparently that wasn't a winning argument because you never did. <laughs> you didn't do it. So this notion of, oh, it's the business case. Well, it's always been good business to do business with people who do business with you. And in the cable industry, I can tell you there's no more loyal customers than people of color. Yet we weren't that wasn't reflected in how we did business. So this notion of let's make the business case. Apparently, that's been a losing argument for a long time. And so now let's do something a little different. Look, I don't care whether you believe it or not. I'd like you to. but. I need you to do certain things. I need you to recognize that in the cable industry, a significant portion of your, your subscribers are people of color and they're loyal. So why not recognize that? Why not have people in the business who can speak for them, who might market to them a little differently because they recognize that they have some similarity in culture? When Comcast did the the NBC acquisition, you know, I was very involved in that. And, you know, at a time when we were getting killed for lack of diversity by Congresswoman Maxine Waters and others on the Hill. And and we were acquiring a studio. And I can remember having conversations with Ron Meyer where I literally looked at Ron Meyer and said, you know, there's not one person of color in all of Hollywood who can green light anything. Anything. And at that time, that was a actual factual statement. I'd be curious how many can actually greenlight something now. Yeah, well, I, I think times are a little different now, but then it was nothing. And, and so this notion of what do we do? How do you respond to that? How do you address what in my mind was obvious? The other thing, and I apologize for rambling, what is what I recognize is what's obvious to me, my brother is not always obvious to everybody else, you know. So, and I'm sure Rochelle can have has had this experience where you, you know, you might be walking through, uh, take meetings all over the place. You walk through a place, and I count the number of, of of black folks or brown folks that you see from the time I walk in through the reception to the time that I get to my. And and many occasions, you know, it's like you know, um, it's a counter. A counter in your head, right? Yeah, that's it's a counter in your head, right? And when I sit down, it is I. It could be very obvious to me that nobody here that looks like me, it, you know. But it is apparently oblivious to everybody else, yeah. Because everybody else is comfortable being around that which looks like them. Right, but 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 and, that goes back to your point about the business case. Because again, what you helped do, you helped launch. And make sure that, you know, Sean Diddy Combs got a cable okay. network, Revolt, Robert Rodriguez got a Ray, you know, yep. but this kind of the whole case. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tee this up to, you know, both you and, and, and Rochelle, which is back to the whole argument of making the business case. I know we love to stand up our friends at Walmart and Target and P&G and Unilever and everyone else. But, you know, one thing is, you know, kind of looking at okay, folks are doing some great work. We're taking some steps in the right direction. But when you look at the share that over half of kids in America are now diverse, black and brown and Asian, when you look at that 100%, not 50, not 70, 100% of growth in retail, 
automotive, CPG, financial services, telecom. You go down industry by industry, all the growth is coming from diverse, multicultural customers. But yet you don't have that share of spend. You don't have that investment. You don't have the product assortment. It's always this, oh, we don't know if that will work or sell. I always feel like it's this excuse. And, you know, I don't know how does that needle turn? Because, again, you're doing a little bit, but how do we get out of the incrementalism, Rochelle, and actually have this step function change? So so, so you've said a lot, and, uh, and I, I want to I add a couple things uh, from what Payne just said. Um, and it's, it's something that everyone on this uh, panel has, understands very well. But when I speak to my mom at the end of the day and she says to me, oh, how was your day? And she said, oh, were you, how many meetings did you have? Were there any other black or brown people there? Like that's just something that we all kind of grew up with, this notion of, of the count and understanding where we are and where we stand. To answer your question more directly, what's actually happening now is, um, is actually a phenomenal time, I believe, particularly as you think about youth. You think about kids, let's call it age eight to, you know, let's call it 18. They're actually have the ability to choose. It's not that we put content in front of them and they have to, they're forced to look at that content. They actually, because of the internet and because of YouTube and, and TikTok and Instagram, they can actually choose the content that they want to consume. And when you look at that content, when you look at the music they're listening to, when you look at the content that they're viewing, they're actually choosing to look across diverse content. It doesn't look just one way. And so when you think about you know, your question around what do companies do, you have to have a better understanding of who your audience is and the things that they actually care about. And so Payne is absolutely right. You know, we talked at the beginning of this around, you know, what does your board look like? What does your executive team look like? And frankly, it needs to look like the people you serve. Mm -hmm. And if your leadership does not look like the people you serve, then you actually have a problem because the decisions that are going to, are going to be made at the company level are going to be made. You need those decisions to be based on who you're actually serving and creating the right type of content to not only deliver what they're looking for, but to give them other options. And that's a decision. And so it shouldn't be relegated to, oh, we have a multicultural marketing department. That's not what this is about. We have a marketing department who understands who our customers are and understands the customers that we want. And then we make decisions about what we put in front of them. Great, I mean, look, this is like the, the whole issue when you understand that it's not about multicultural marketing, it's marketing to a multicultural nation. And when you think about the context of licensing, I mean, this is, after all, a licensing conversation. Payne, you know, you're in this really important seat. Last time I checked, I think the NBA probably has lots of diverse players, diverse mm -hmm. customers. It's global. And, you know, how do you help someone or, you know, maybe this happens, you know, within, you know, think 450 or, or it doesn't. But given your experience, how do you explain to someone that says it's not part of my job or, you know, how do I make it part of someone's job? You know, the whole idea of KPIs. And, you know, what gets measured is what happens. Like, how would you help someone understand that, oh, this isn't part of my remit? Well, the position I'm in now is a little unique in that, to your point, 80 to 85 percent of the people that I serve are African-American men. So the game of basketball is a global game. And I think in and of itself, it's a lesson in diversity, because 
it is global now. And you look at the face of, of basketball, it's African-American men. But specifically to your question, how do you get people? People respond to, to it's pretty simple, to that which, which they're rewarded by. And, and how do you make sure people understand that it matters? I mean, one of the things in our organization, the head of the union, Michelle Roberts, has made it very, very clear that who we do business with matters. That given the fact that we represent a league that is majority African-American, we need to make sure that we are doing business with folks who value that culture. And I think that's the thing that, that, that the point that I want to get to is irrespective of what the business is, as Rochelle said, you not only have to understand who your audience is, but the question is, do you value that audience? Do you respect their culture? Do you speak to them in a language that they understand? Do you make sure that, for example, our largest licensee is 2K, the game? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when having conversations with 2K, what does that experience look like? What's the music that they're playing in the backdrop? What's, you know, how do you make sure that they value the culture and that it's relevant? Well, then I'll switch it up to Rochelle, you know, as we start to wrap up, uh, you know, because I know we only have a couple minutes left. But, you know, I, I really feel that this whole idea of understanding not just the KPIs, but then how do you ensure, you know, kind of the typical things that all question or all companies have, you know, questions that it might be easy for a Viacom CBS and eBay a Visa because they have lots of resources. But how do you incorporate, you know, kind of diversity, equality, inclusion if you're a smaller company, if you have a smaller licensing program, trying to ensure that there's diversity on your team, maybe you don't have the budget right now to even hire anyone. You have no open headcount. It's a pandemic, right? So I feel like there are hacks in terms of trying to find diversity and making sure that your team is either inclusive, either representatives or ways that you can be inclusive. But Rochelle, what are some hacks and, and records that you would have for the folks listening? So, so as you know, I, my day is spent with a bunch of startups. So I'm an investor and I look at startups all the time. And you know, one of the things that we did at our company, it just at the very beginning of our strategy, was that we built diversity into the strategy. And so we started just making sure that each one of our sectors was co-led by a man and a woman. And now we've expanded that to include racial diversity as well. So we've actually built diversity into the strategy period. So that's number one. Number two is when we look at companies, we wanna understand what's your board like look like, what's your advisory committee look like, and then what's your executive team look like. And, um, and we help our, our investments to actually diversify a lot better and smarter. And then you know, we recognize when we meet you, you may not have that figured out quite right, but over time, we want you to actually create change in that space. You just had a great hire at your company for a chief technology officer, which is phenomenal, congrats. But as you're bringing on new leaders, you have to open the aperture, you have to actually think about how do I expand this search to include um, folks that may not necessarily look like me. And so we spend a lot of time bringing great talent in front of our companies so that they understand that there's a mix of folks that are available to them and that it doesn't have to look just like 
the, the guy who started the company. And then sometimes the, the person who started the company isn't the person that's going to grow and scale that company. And so you have to also look at, you know, how do you think about the succession of that founder and how do you create opportunities to bring in more diversity, even at the CEO level? Love that. Payne, as, as we wrap up, I mean, what would be some of either, you know, the advice for folks that, you know, real talk, if if you grew up and your network is mostly white, if you actually haven't been exposed to a lot of, you know, black and brown talent, you just have you just don't have those networks. What would be the advice on how to diversify your team or finding talent? You know, what, what are some hacks that you would recommend? Well, the, the, the most obvious thing on this call is to call you, Stephen, sure. because if, if folks if folks don't follow you, you know, the things that you're doing just to identify talent. I think should be commended. So thank you for that. The other thing is that I would like to dispel this notion that all the great black and brown talent is somehow hiding somewhere. Uh, we're not. Hiding <laughs> sight is what we're doing. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I don't. I don't. In this day and time, you know, to say that we can't find anybody is ridiculous. This is just no longer an acceptable excuse. There are incredibly talented people of color, different genders, all, you know, uh, again, as Rochelle said, that, and we are not hiding in plain sight. And I get so tired of, uh, you know, particularly post-George Floyd of the cause of pain. We just now recognize that we aren't doing enough and we need to, <laughs> you know, we need to do something. And well, okay, but Again, Stephen, I'd, I'd no longer accept that as reality. There's all kinds of folks that, that one can call. And and if there is a leader in an organization that says that they can't find anybody, they don't deserve to be a leader, in my opinion. Here, here. And the only thing I'll add is, is like you, Stephen, I'm sure Payne has it and I have it too. I have my list of executives who are actively looking for board roles. And I send it to every... It, executive recruiting firm that's leading board searches. I send it to every single one of them every quarter. I update it and I get a bunch of calls because I'm already on boards. And so the people who are on boards get all the calls. Yeah. Right. And the fact is I can't do more boards. I actually am at capacity. And so you have to pass it on. You have to create opportunities for others to, as Payne said, it's not enough to be the only person in the room. You have to bring other people with you. And, you know, there were generations before us who walked in the room so happy and proud they got in there and then they closed the door. And we can't do that. We have to keep the door open and bring people along. We have to help them to transition. You know, we have to mentor them to help them to figure out how to do this the right way. But frankly, if you're running big pieces of a business, you can sit on a board. Like, it just the it's role not, is to actually help the CEO. Right. So you're already doing it in your company. Right. That's right. So again, you know, it's not just a moment, it's a movement. And you know, Mara, thank you so much for again convening us, giving the opportunity and the forum to talk about these important issues. And obviously, please follow Rochelle and Payne on LinkedIn, social media, because again, they're some of the most important leaders in our industry. And just cannot thank you both enough for your time and for your feedback. Thank you. Looking beyond our usual networks to bring in fresh talent, ensuring diversity at the top, understanding, respect, and valuing a multicultural audience, all so essential and critical to creating a diverse and inclusive workplace. 
A huge thank you again to Rochelle, Payne, and Stephen for sharing your insights and feedback. I'd also like to thank Licensing International's Idea Committee, chaired by Jamie Stevens, Executive Vice President of Worldwide Consumer Products for Sony Pictures Entertainment, and our generous sponsors, National Basketball Players Association, NFL Players Association, Sony Pictures, and Peanuts Worldwide, a division of Wild Brain Entertainment. And thank you all for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, and we hope you have, please let your friends and colleagues know about us by sharing this episode or by visiting licensing.org. We'd love for you to subscribe so that you can be aware of all that's going on and our future episodes. And please let us know how we're doing. Rate and review this podcast. We want to hear what you think. Thank you.